0: Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We are in our final church, the final church in Revelation, the seventh church, the church at Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3. We're just going to start reading in verse number 14 tonight. I think that's where we'll start. Oh, that was disgusting. Oh, that was disgusting. Man, that was nasty. All right, there's a reason I did that. So tonight we're talking about the church at Laodicea. Sorry I spewed all over you, but that's the picture that we have here in Revelation. Jesus tells his church, I want to spit on you. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You are so disgusting. I'm really sorry I hit you guys. If you need to go clean up, you can. Go dry off. (laughs) Oh, that was awesome. (laughs) Aaron's about to throw up right now. And <laughs> get that on slow-mo on the video feed if we can. Uh, and that was great. That was great. I did not know how that would turn out. In my mind, I had it playing out a hundred different ways, but man, that was perfect. Thank you guys for sitting right there too. Yeah, I appreciate it. You never know what's going to happen in church, especially if you sit on the front. Uh, but don't sit on the back because I can spit in the back too. Uh, but anyway... What would, what would come to your mind? Let's go ahead and start here. We're going to be in verse 14 through 22. What would come to your mind if someone told you, you make me sick? I just want to vomit anytime I'm around you. What, I mean, honestly, what would come to your mind if that was coming out of someone's mouth towards you? All right, Jocelyn, what do you think? Okay, I can't be your friend anymore. What else? What else? Ethan. That they're actually going to get sick and be around you. So you guys made me sick. That's why I wanted to spit on you. I mean, just your actions and your attitudes and everything going on tonight just makes me sick. All right. Yes. What about you? Yeah. What about you or what about me makes, makes you sick? What else? Uh, Julie. What did I do or sorry? What did I do or sorry? Violet. Well, then, you then you make me sick. That's, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Put it right back at him. Mary. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. All right. See you later. All right. I like it. Very good. Marcus, you got something? We're just doing the tomahawk chop over there. Okay. I think it would make me lose myself. Is there something going on that I Yeah. Um, all right, Mia. I know you're just waiting to say something. They hate me. They hate me. Now, again, I gave you that visual illustration tonight. Um, but that's the picture that Jesus gives to this church at Laodicea. And it's a pretty graphic picture when you think about it. Now, I made a great point tonight with this front row guys, and uh, just beware, because, you know, I got more water up here, and I can still spit it out on you. But that's the picture that Jesus said to his church. Imagine that. We're at the seventh church. They're in Asia Minor. This is a it's a literal church. It's a physical church gathering together. And their actions, their attitudes, everything about them made Jesus Christ, the indescribable Christ, so sick that He just wanted to spew them out of His mouth. Let's go ahead and read these verses, and we'll kind of jump into some more questions and jump into this lesson tonight. Verse number 14, "...and unto the angel of the church at Laodicea," or the, of the Laodiceans, right. These things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and lukewarm water is pretty disgusting. I made sure it was lukewarm, I actually heated it up before. Uh, But uh, lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee, I will spit you, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I mean, Jesus just hits him upside the head, really, with this language. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So the reason Jesus is being so strong here is because he does love them. He loves his church, and he wants what's best for them. And sometimes if you truly love someone, you have to be hard on them so that they can understand that what they're doing is wrong and it needs to be corrected. Because true love actually cuts deep sometimes. It doesn't necessarily attack, but true love tells people what they don't want to hear, but they need to hear. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So he puts it to them, hey, you need to get this correct or corrected. You need to get this straightened out. You need to repent of your sins, of your wrongdoings, and turn and start following me again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. Many of our kids are learning this verse in school. And he with me, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. Let me go ahead and pray and we'll get into the time. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you for this day, and Lord, as we come to this final church, before we um, make our way into uh, the, the throne room of heaven over the next two chapters, Lord, I pray that you just help us to, to learn the very, very valuable, important lessons and applications that you gave to this church at Laodicea. These Laodicean Christians that some probably weren't even Christians within the church, but very complacent, very apathetic, could care less about their relationship with you. And and honestly, Lord, there are many Christians, many churchgoers today that really could care less about their relationship with God. And it's evident in their lifestyle, in their action. And Jesus has some harsh words for us. You know, we talk a lot about commitment. You know, we need to have commitment to Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of people that are committed to what they want instead of what you want. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn the truths, even the harsh language that is given to this church, to hey, correct this, straighten up, or else something bad is going to happen to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn what we need to learn. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let me start with the kids. Let me ask a question tonight. Kids, think of a rule at home that your parents have. What is a rule at home that your parents have? Yes. Keep your room tiny. I mean, tidy. Tidy. He said tidy. Can't hear. No. Keep your room tidy. Baylor, what's a rule do you have? She's saying it. Don't scream. Very good. Very good. That's all I do. Uh, What else? What are some rules that you have? Ethan? Don't jump jump on the couch. But what if you're dressed up like Nacho Libre? (laughs) Some of you might get that if you're on Facebook. <laughs> Marshall. Turn your, Turn your lights off. All right, what else? What else? Uh, back in the back, Kevin. Uh, not to let the dog on the couch. Not to let the dog on the couch. The Our, all right. <laughs> to Sandra. Tacey. <laughs> it's you, Tacey. Don't get on the couch with your shoes on. All right. So what happens, kids, if you break a rule? What happens if you break a rule? All right. Uh, Man, who who really wants it? All right, Andrew. They just get mad at you. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Coming to Dave, we can talk later if we need to. (laughs) All right, Nate. What happens if you break a rule at home? Oh, they're going to make faces at you. Is that what mom does to you a lot? She just makes faces? man that's crazy what else jenna <laughs> haven't heard from you you get a spanking spankin'. so uh all right someone else uh tesla you go <laughs> oh yeah there it is there it is i love it man this is a perfect time to air out all that dirty laundry from your parents right this is great this is great do they just shut the door and put you in the dryer or something? (laughs) Maybe call CPS. I mean, (laughs) she probably is. So, uh, all right. Oh, that's, that's good. Uh, Ellie, Emery, which one? Ellie, Ellie, you get grounded. All right. Hands down, hands down. Typically what happens, you know, you guys all answered them, you know, the, the, The laundry room thing was the best. I'm sorry. (laughs) She wins. (laughs) Oh, Reminds. Yeah, get a piece of candy for that. Um, Typically what happens when you don't follow the rules, kids, is there are consequences. You know, even Tessa learned this in school, that there are vowels and consequences, right? There's consonants, but there's vowels and consequences. But there are consequences to our actions. And the reason I'm asking that is because the church at Laodicea was really it's kind of a apathetic church, kind of a wicked church, had allowed a lot of sin and corruption within the church. And Jesus is telling them that there are consequences to your actions. There is discipline. In in essence what he's saying is I'm going to shut you in the laundry room. That's what Jesus is telling this church at Laodicea. If you don't straighten up, you're getting shut in the laundry, man. I'm I'm not going to let that die. That is awesome. Like seriously, that is that is that is epic. Thank you so much, Tesla. See me afterwards. I got some candy for you for that. All right. <laughs> All right. Tonight, as we get into this last church, let me just quick quickly go over the seven church or the six churches we've talked about thus far. We have talked about Ephesus, which really you can label the careless church. They lost their first love. We talked about Smyrna, which was the crushed church, faced a lot of persecution. We talked about Pergamos, which was a compromising church that allowed compromising doctrines and beliefs to come into their church. We talked about Thyatira, which was the corrupt church. Um, They had uh, Jezebel was within there, and she was leading them into idolatry and fornication and all kinds of wicked things. We talked about Sardis, which was a dead church, and there are many churches today that are really playing dead not really alive. And then last week, we talked about Philadelphia, which is really uh, the only church that Jesus has nothing negative to say about it. And this was the, the, the mark of a consistent or thriving church. And really, when you think about that church before we get tonight, you know what the difference is in a dying church and a consistent church? I think it's really one main key ingredient. It's a mindset. You see, they had a mindset that my mindset, kind of like the, the series on Sunday, that the gospel is truly above all. That I'm going to make sure that Jesus Christ is first and foremost in my life. And now tonight, we transition into Laodicea, which really is the complacent church. Give me a, let me give you a couple quick facts about Laodicea before we get to those characteristics tonight. The city of Laodicea was about 120 miles due east of Ephesus. The city of Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Siri, be quiet. In 60 AD, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. Historical records say it was completely rebuilt by the wealth of its people with no outside help whatsoever. Now, you know, that doesn't happen a lot. You think of today with devastation of earthquakes or floods, a lot of time what happens the, the government comes in and, and gives a lot of funding. Now, this city was so wealthy that they said, you know what? We've got it. We don't need any outside help. We've got it for ourselves. We're going to take care of it. Tacitus, which was a Roman historian, he said, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us, talking about the Roman Empire. The city and the church were alike though. They viewed themselves as totally and completely self-sufficient. Now this is very important in setting the stage for tonight. They did not want any help because they didn't need any help. How many honestly struggle with that attitude that I don't need any help, that I am self-sufficient? All right, just go ahead and stand right now. Let's confess. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There there are many of us. There are many of us that struggle with that, that self-sufficiency. Again, I don't need any help. Everything that I have, it's because of me. I'm going to work for it. I don't need your help at all. And honestly, I was thinking about it this week. This is one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor. It's really one of the most frustrating things in my own life. But it's it's one of the most frustrating things because I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this incessant need or desire for myself or for people to do things apart from anyone else. And listen to me, this attitude that I'm going to work for what I get, and it's not going to be given to me, is wrong. And, and, and listen to me. You see, here's a big flaw with this mindset. We tend to carry that attitude into our Christian life. And the Christian life is not based on what you've done, is it? It's based on something else. It's based on what he has done for us. And again, it's very easy to have this mindset, this attitude that we are self-sufficient. I have gotten where I am because of my gifts, because of my abilities, because of my talents. And when I see this tendency and desire to be self-sufficient in others, it shows the root of the issue. Listen to this. It shows their lack of dependence and reliance on God and therefore a lack of commitment to Jesus Christ and a lack of a close personal relationship to Him. And it's pretty, pretty challenging, pretty convicting because, again, I've seen this in my own life that I don't need help from anyone else. I've got this. But that attitude, in some ways it's not wrong, but in, in many ways it is because it carries into our Christian life. That I got this, I don't need Jesus' help, he's not going to do anything for me that I can't already do, and we might not necessarily verbally say it, but that's how we live our lives. And this is exactly what happened to the church at Laodicea and the city of Laodicea. They were so wealthy, they were so affluent, that they didn't need help from anyone else. Now let that sink in your mind as we continue this lesson tonight. Another thing about Laodicea is that it was the world headquarters for eye care. Eye diseases were very quite common in the first century. The Apostle Paul likely had one of those disfiguring eye diseases. The hospital at Laodicea had developed an eye salve that became world famous for curing eye diseases. They had a special process whereby they also could dye wool black. This black wool was known far and wide and was used by many to make elegant garments. But despite their prosperity, the city had one major weakness. You know what it was? Their water supply. You know, most of the time, you know, if, you, if there's a lake nearby, you have a great aqueduct system. Their aqueduct system wasn't the greatest. They were piping in water from at least six to seven miles away. You know, their water system was very unique. It was an above-ground water system of aqueducts, but they brought water in from two sources. One was from the town of Colossae, which was about ten miles away, up in the Fergian Mountains, which was snow-covered. The other source of water was from the hot springs of Hierapolis, less than seven miles away. So from Colossae, the water started cold, ice cold, refreshing. Don't you love that ice cold, refreshing drink, especially when it's hot? But then the water from Hierapolis was was hot. They had those hot springs and the water was as hot as you possibly can imagine, creating steam as its source. But the problem was this. It didn't matter what source they brought their water in from. By the time the water got to the city, it was lukewarm. And really, probably none of us like lukewarm drinks. I mean, imagine if I made coffee tonight, left it out all week, and we served that on Sunday. How many would drink that without heating it up? Mary? got a couple weirdos, all right? Mary, Rodney, whatever. So we're going to do that for Mary and Rodney. We're just going to leave the coffee out all week. You can drink the lukewarm, nasty, disgusting coffee, Okay. Um, most of us don't want that. We either want a hot, a hot drink or we want a cold drink, right? Want something refreshing. We don't want something lukewarm. And the water was so distasteful in that city that even visitors, when they came, when they were not prepared for its tepid flavor, they would often spit it out. They would take a drink and kind of do what I did and just spit it out. Like what in the world just happened? That is disgusting, so let's go ahead and jump into the tonight. First thing we see is the characteristic of Christ. Verse number 14, the characteristic of Christ. And the angel of the church at Laodiceans right, these things at the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So if you're writing down notes in your, in your uh, study guide, here it is. The amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. So Jesus Christ, the characteristic of Christ here is that He is the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And what we learn here is this, that you can trust what Jesus Christ says. There are a lot of people you cannot trust what they say. They talk from both sides of their mouth, like politicians that we were watching last night. But you can trust what Jesus Christ says. In identifying Jesus as the Amen, listen, the faithful, the true witnesses, recognizes in our Lord what is sure, what is valid, what is true, and what is trustworthy. Amen is a Christological title, and it is always the appropriate human response to divine word of action. The Lord presented Himself as the Amen, which is an Old Testament title for God. You can reference that to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, where the word truth is also the Hebrew word for Amen. He is the truth, and He speaks the truth. It reminds me of John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the what? The truth And the life. Jesus Christ is truth. We can trust what he says. You can't trust what other people say because they're not full of truth, but Jesus is full of truth. And this is important because as he's about to get pretty harsh with this church, he wants them to understand that, hey, what I say is truthful. I am truth. Everything about me encompasses truth. So what I'm about to say, you might not like, but it is true. And you need to hear this. You see, Jesus is also reliable. This church at Laodicea is not reliable. Jesus is faithful. This church at Laodicea is not faithful. Jesus is the true witness, but they have no witness at all. Warren Weir'sby said this, Why is it that new Christians create problems in the church? A young pastor once asked me this question, he said. <coughs> he said, they don't create problems, I replied. They reveal them. The problems have always been there. But here's the thing. We have gotten used to them. New Christians are like children in the home. They tell the truth about things. Don't you love it when your kids tell the truth, you know, about shutting them into the laundry room and stuff like that? <laughs> love it. That's one thing I do love about kids. They, they speak the truth. And, you know, we're, we're finding a lot of things about, you know, the parents in, in the Christian school right now. So, you know, if, if you want us to hear about you, just send your kids to the Christian school and we'll find a lot about you. Uh, but kids speak the truth. And that's what Wearsby was saying. You know, new Christians don't necessarily cause the problems, but they show what the problems are because in a church, a lot of times, it's very easy to get complacent and don't even see the problems that are there. And listen, this Laodicean church was blind to its own problems because these problems had been going on for years. And now Jesus has to, has to cut deep, and He has to be honest with them. So he's telling them that, hey, I'm the amen, I'm the true and faithful witness. You can trust what I'm about to tell you. Another thing is, in this characteristic of Christ, as he says, I am the, um, verse 14, the beginning of the creation of God. You can trust what he starts. The beginning of the creation of God does not suggest that Jesus was created. He's always been. He is the creator. The word translated beginning means source or origin. Jesus is Lord over both material and the spiritual realms. He is Lord, the ruler, the chief. He is first in time and first in position. So, the characteristics of Christ, He is the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the creator of all things. But then, as we have looked at in previous lessons, we, we typically get to the commendation to the church. But for Laodicea, there is none, there is no praise. Now imagine this, if this were Eagle Drive, if, if Jesus were writing a letter to Eagle Drive. Now how many would hope that Jesus would have some praiseworthy things to say about us? I think all of us should raise our hand. But imagine if Jesus wrote a letter to us and there was nothing praiseworthy in it. You think, well, that's not going to happen because this is who we are, whatever. And I'm sure this church at Laodicea thought they were pretty good. Well, they were doing good enough. I mean, they were coming to church and you know, we're helping out when we can, this and that. But they become very complacent, very apathetic. Did what they wanted when they wanted type of attitude. Very self-reliant. Now we get into the criticism. Verse 15. He says, I know thy works, as he had you know, told the other churches as well. I know thy works. I, I see everything. I, I know what's going on. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. You know, make up your mind one or the other. And, you know, some reference this, the fact that, you know, cold is that cold hearted and, you know, wanting nothing to do with God. And, and you can easily reference that. But also at the same time, you have to understand this letter and what Jesus is writing to, because again, he's, he's referencing also Colossae, which had that cold source of water, that ice cold, you know, mountain spring water, which, you know, it tastes amazing when you drink it. You know, he'd rather you be refreshing or, you know, that, that hot drink that, that really, it was more medicinal there in Hierapolis that had medicinal purposes. But since you're neither, he said, you're lukewarm. Verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew you, I will spit you out of my mouth. And look, look at verse number 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. There's their self-reliance coming into play. I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. Many of us act the same way. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So here's here's the criticism. You are lukewarm. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor, blind, and naked. Let's leave that up for a second so you can get that down. You are lukewarm. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Now, think about how bad this is for Jesus to say nothing good about them. Everything about them stunk and was nauseating. How does a church even get like this? Let's just ask that question. How do you think a church even gets to this state where there is nothing good to say about that church? How do you think? David. What are you doing? sorry. He was just distracting me. He had his shirt up and he was just scratching. What is going on? (laughs) Nacho Libre. Nacho. All right. Say that again, David. I was totally like, what, what is going on? (laughs) It's a crazy night, people. Is it a full moon or I don't know what it is. Say that again. You forgot? Uh Compromise. Compromise. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Heritage. What? Arrogance? Arrogance, yeah. How else? Kevin? They're dead on the inside, they don't act like it. Dead on the inside, don't act like Christina? Complacent. Complacent, yeah. How else? Mary? Lose focus. Very good. What else? Anybody else? How does the church even get to this way where Jesus has nothing good to say about them? Anybody else? Yeah, happens slowly without realizing Yeah. Again, kind of like with Sardis, you know, the dying church. You know, when you're inside of a dying church, you don't necessarily realize you're a dying church. You know, and again, I, I referenced this when I came here. Um, you know, when I came here almost five years ago, I had, I had read that book, um, Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rayner, And really many of the principals in there, I said, well, that's Eagle Drive. But most of the members within the church didn't see that at the time. Now, there were some that knew that they were dying, but many of them said, no, we're not dying. I remember having conversations with trustees at the time, like, You know, those were fun conversations. Hey, we're a dead church. No, we're not. Um, But it, it, it took an outside source, myself, my wife, to come in and say, there's something not right here. But when you're on the inside, you don't always see it. Because that's just the norm. That's what you're used to. And what we see here is really, you know, in the Christian life, you know, there kind of are three spiritual temperatures. There's that burning heart on fire for God. There's a cold heart. There's a lukewarm heart. But what we see here in verses 15 and 16 is that Jesus knows what we are doing. And that's very important, church. I've kind of referenced this in every lesson thus far, where he says, I know thy works. Understand that. Jesus knows what we are doing. I don't know what you're all doing. I mean, I could see what you post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I know that, but I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing when you're not letting it be known to other people. But whether I know or not is beside the point because Jesus Christ knows. He knows what's on the inside. He knows what you're all about. He knows where your identity truly is. And that's what he says. I know thy works and you're not on fire for me. Really, you're in the middle. You are lukewarm and that's a very dangerous place to be. And many people today believe that the church age as a whole is this Laodicean age. I don't fully agree with that. You know, I believe that there are signs of a Laodicean age, that there's a lot of complacency. But, you know, we can't label every church as a Laodicean church because every church is not a Laodicean church. There are markers that show that a church is that Laodicean, that complacent, that apathetic. And it's very easy to drift towards Laodicea, that attitude, that mindset. But let's ask this question. It kind of goes with what we had just talked about. How would you describe a lukewarm church today? How would you describe a lukewarm church today? A church that knows enough Bible to get by. That's very really good. Keep going. I need to get an actual drink of cold water now. I'm not going to spit on you. Don't worry. Calm down. A church that knows enough of the Bible to get by. That's good. Nate? Yeah. Nothing? You want me to spit on you? Just wait. Yeah. All right. What else? fake it till you make it oh that's a great motto for a lot of us i'm just gonna fake it till i make it michael inward focus Inward focus. apple focus yes exactly very oh sorry (laughs) just kidding we have to give them a hard time without that that constant struggle right church that isn't um trying to be more like christ but trying to just be comfortable where they are yeah trying to be comfortable where you are but really i mean that inward focus goes hand in hand with that you know, focusing about my needs. And again, there are a lot of churches, Michael hit it right there. There are a lot of churches that are focused on what they want and not about their community. And it's not about Christ at all. It's not about the gospel. It's about what they desire. And it's not just about what we desire and our comforts and uh, what we feel we need in our life. It's so much more. What else? How, How would you describe a lukewarm church today? I swallowed it, don't worry. David? Resistant to change. Resistant to change. Ooh, man, that's... (laughs) How much time do we got? (laughs) Oh, man, that's that's so good. Uh, Resistance to change. Um, The honest truth about that statement is most of us, if not all of us, are resistant in some form or fashion to change. We like change when we are the one implementing change, but if someone else is implementing change, we don't like it. You know, I've even referenced that in my own life that there were times where, you know, I've gone somewhere and like, you know, okay, they changed the menu. How dare you change the menu? I knew the menu. I, 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 this is what I wanted. Why did you change it? It was working good. But we're no different in the church today. And that's great. That's a, that's a great uh, description of a lukewarm church. What else? Let's do a couple more. Yes, Tiffany. Um, are into more than God first. That's very good. People are more into worldly things than putting God first. Mia? They go around saying, we should come to our church because we're so cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Jocelyn. That's good. Focus too much on popularity. Yeah. What else? Anybody else? What do you think? Some descriptions. They want to change what sin is. You know, we see things today that we never would have seen when we were growing up. And on TV and things like that, Then we just look at it, and, oh, that's okay. Yeah. But back in the day, the preacher would preach on that and yeah. We've just become very comfortable. Uh, Mary? Going through the motions. Going through the motions. Yeah. Anyone else? Bob, you got something? So, it's church, yeah, that's very good. Racism and a lot of other things that are in the church that shouldn't be in the church. Anyone else? Maybe one or two more? Anything else? They want to do with oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Who is good at that, right? Many of us. Saying we're going to do something, but never following through. You know, here's how I describe it. They gather to worship, but kind of what was already mentioned, they only go through the motions. There's no heart, there's no zeal, there's no focus in their worship. And and again, I want you to understand this, because many of us have been here. It's very easy to drift into this Laodicean attitude and mindset. That even when we come in church to worship God, to sing, to hear the message we're just going through the motions. You know, we're, we're up here singing. I don't like this song, so I'm not going to sing it. I can't believe they picked this song. That's going through the motions, isn't it? And then someone else that's getting into it and raising their hands or whatever. What's up with them? <laughs> some kind of freak or something. You know, what are they doing? Is, this, is it show? No, some people are showy, but a lot of people aren't. It's genuine, but it's very easy to go through the motions in our worship. Again, when when you sing, going on that aspect, it's very hit or miss. And again, whether brother Mike or Michael or my wife or whoever is up here, you know, you shouldn't have to coax people into singing. I know Michael loves when he has to do that, right? No, you shouldn't have to coax people into singing. But it's frustrating when I look out and, and preach and people are like, <laughs> "I need to have a mirror up here and you can see all yourself." That's what I need. Let's make that happen, whoever. All right, let's make that happen. Let's get a giant mirror. We can all see your reflection and see what you guys look at. But here's another thing. There's no urgency. There's no urgency in their prayer life. There's no urgency in their study life. They don't focus on the gospel. And because of this, there is no spreading the gospel. They don't reach out past their own comfort zone. Their impact doesn't go past those that they like. And there are a lot of us that are like that. Well, I only like these people, so I only talk to these people and I only reach out to those people. That is a mark of a lukewarm lifestyle and a lukewarm mindset. Look, the message that Christ was getting at here was historical and geographical. He wasn't saying just be cold and oppose me. That's not the point. The point is you are providing neither healing for the spiritually sick or refreshment for the spiritual thirsty. And because of that, you make me sick. And I want to spit you out of my mouth. And really, this is disgusting Christianity on full display. You see, Jesus knows who we think we are. Look at verse number 17. Here's what they said about themselves. Here's how they thought about themselves. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. I have a lot of stuff and really... You can apply this to American Christianity today because American Christianity is very blessed and we are very blessed and I'm thankful to live in America. I'm thankful to live in Texas and I'm thankful to have what we have that other countries don't. But because of that, we have grown very self-reliant, self-absorbed. I have a lot. I'm increased with goods. So I'm going to keep my goods and I'm going to keep storing up my goods. Instead of like I've been talking about the past couple Sundays, being generous in our Christianity and reaching out to others and and allowing God what He gives us to give back to the church and give back to others so the gospel might spread. But because thou sayest you're rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and that's really where many of us are. We really have need of nothing. We have clothes. We have food. uh, We have shelter. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee. Now he's, he's going to try to counsel them, but here's the thing. Jesus knows our spiritual condition. There are many Christians who have bought in without ever selling out. You've replaced zeal with indifference, enthusiasm with apathy. You're not really up. You're not really down. You're not really in. You're not really out. You've just got enough of Jesus in you That you can't fully enjoy the world, but enough of the world that you can't fully enjoy Jesus. Let me say that again. Many Christians have enough of Jesus to not really be able to fully enjoy the world, but they have enough of the world to not really be able to fully enjoy Jesus. And honestly, that's where many of us live. And this should be convicting because it's the most convicting lesson thus far. Laodicean Christians are deceived Christians. You know, we talked about that this past Sunday, that Ananias and Sapphira were trying to deceive the Lord, trying to deceive His church. But a comparison of their self-estimation with the Lord's evaluation is tragic and sobering. They were boasting of what they had and what they were. Again, self-reliance corrupts churches. I want you to just think about that. Write that down. Self-reliance is what corrupts churches. And we are so guilty of that in America. We are so guilty of our self-reliance. And I've caught myself any time saying that. I don't need anything. I don't need any help from you. I can do it on my own. But again, that attitude easily goes into our Christian life. And then it's, well, I don't need any help from you. I don't need any help from other Christians, even though we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, right? We're supposed to comfort one another and be there for one another. Get this down. Indifference will eventually lead to Ignorance concerning where we are spiritually. Indifference. This indifferent attitude that I don't really need anything, I've got everything I have, you know, whatever. You know, that's why we pay preachers to preach and witness. and That's why we pay missionaries to do what they're doing so that I don't have to do it. That's that complacent attitude. That's that apathetic heart. That is that indifference towards the gospel. And indifference towards the gospel eventually leads to ignorance concerning where you are spiritually. You know, as I hit on Sunday with Ananias and Sapphira... You know, they lied to God and God took it seriously. But think about our own sins. And the question with that message was not, why did God kill them? But the question should be, why hasn't God killed us? Because of our own indifference. Because of our own sin. And every time I preach, honestly, I, I preach as much to myself as anyone else because I struggle with these things too. I struggle with my own indifference towards my relationship with Christ. And this should be convicting Listen, you wouldn't last long in a job if you had an indifferent attitude towards your work, would you? No? You wouldn't last long. If you showed up whenever you wanted to, your boss would be like, no, it's all good. I'm going to pay you more. Here's more benefits. No. (laughs) Does that happen to some of you? I need that job. Uh, (laughs) But that's not going to happen, Right? So why do we think it's okay to be indifferent towards God and His church? And it's more than just, well, some people come whenever they want. It's it's more than that. And I'm not, you know, it's, it's so much more than that. Why do we think it's okay to be indifferent towards God and His church? See, that's pretty harsh. Well, yeah, I know. But, you know, I think of what Jesus is saying here. And I want you to listen. I want you to understand where I'm coming from when I say this statement. You know, Jesus was so sick of their attitude, of their mindset, that he was just ready to just be done with them, spit them out. But if you want to continue being lukewarm, then honestly, I'd rather you just find another church. You see, that's harsh. Why would you say such a thing as a pastor? Because that's what God is saying here, is He not? Because indifference does not help a church grow. Apathy does not help a church grow. And if you have no desire to grow in your Christian life, to be who God wants you to be, then go find another church. I hope you don't, because I hope this is convicting enough to where it's like, Jesus, help me. Forgive me. As we hit on Sunday, Lord, forgive me of my sins, of my lies, of my ignorance, of my indifference. And he wants to set the record straight. Look, in a a sense, their Facebook status didn't match their spiritual status. You know, we can all update our Facebook status and post pictures of ourselves and make people think that we are a certain way, but in reality, we're not that way. And Jesus, he lists five marks of their true spiritual status. They are wretched, they are miserable, they are poor. Now right here, this is a slap in their face because this city bragged on its wealth and he says, you think you're wealthy, but you're actually poor. He says they're blind. It's another dig because this city prided itself in its optometry school and famous eye salve that they had produced. But he said, hey, you think you can see and you think you're amazing, but you're blind spiritually speaking. You can't even see the truth. Naked, this is another slap and dig at the city. It was a ridicule of a city that boasted of its famous glossy black wool. Hey, look at our black wool. Look at everything that we've created. Let me get to the correction. Verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and with white raiment. It's contrast to the black wool. That thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salves. So everything that he just talked about, he is correcting them in. That thou mayest see, I want you to be able to see the truth. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous therefore and repent. Write this down in the correction. We need Christ's riches, his righteousness, his remedy and his rebuke. We need Christ's riches, righteousness, remedy and rebuke. You want true Riches then it's not about what you gain in this world. It's not about what you have in your bank account. You want true riches? Then focus on me. True riches come from Jesus Christ. We hit on that in our Ephesians series. You know, some have suggested that this is talking about going through persecution. Well, it's blatantly obvious that this church is too comfortable for persecution. And it's a dangerous thing when a church never has persecution and suffering because obviously they're probably not doing anything. Worthwhile for Satan to even come in and do something to him. Spiritual wealth is what we need. Who cares about the physical wealth? But some of us, and again, I can struggle with this, some of us cannot get that past our thick school. No, I have to add more to my bank account. No, you have to add more to your spiritual bank account. And you are spiritually wealthy. You are spiritually rich. You have everything you need in Christ. You're not going to find it in this world. Look, When you die and stand before Jesus, which all of us will stand before Jesus at one day, what's more important? What's going to matter more in God's eyes? Your bank account? Your physical wealth or the spiritual wealth? The spiritual wealth. Again, I'm not against working a job. I'm not saying everyone go quit your job tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But this is is what leads towards that self-reliance, that complacency, that apathetic spirit that I need more in my bank account To make sure that I am secure instead of relying on his security. Instead of relying on his truth, his wealth. Once you get saved, we talked about this in Ephesians, everything that Jesus has is ours too. Did you realize that? All of his wealth is ours, it's at our fingertips. We get to enjoy what Jesus has, and that's an amazing thing, is it not? So we need Christ's riches. We need His righteousness. When He talks about this clothing in in white white garments, it's in contrast to the famous glossy black wool that they are proud of. Jesus offers a garment of white that will cover their shame and nakedness. White clothes symbolize the imputed righteousness of the Savior. Before before a holy God, listen, we are stripped naked and exposed for who we really are. You don't stand before royalty and filthy rags, do you? you? At least you shouldn't. If you had an opportunity to stand before royalty or stand before a dignitary, someone important, you wouldn't stand before them in filthy rags. You know, just change the oil in your car and have oil and grease all over you. You'd go change, right? you change into something nice, something that you have that is, that is presenting uh, to them. But yet, that's exactly what we do when it comes to worship. And I'm not talking about your physical clothing of how you come to the church. I'm talking about being dressed in the filthy rags of our unrighteousness before a holy God. You see, we desperately need God's righteousness. You see, salvation means that Christ's righteousness is imputed on us. It's put on our account. Sanctification means that His righteousness is imparted to us. It's made a part of our character and conduct. We need His righteousness because our righteousness is not enough. We also need Christ's remedy. Again, here's a city famous for their eye salve, but ironically, the church was blind to their own spiritual condition. Only the great physician can cure our sightlessness. The blindness of our self-reliance and deception can only be remedied by the healing ointment that Jesus gives us through the Gospel. I'm reminded of Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And I I gave this verse in reference to to our men's devotion on Saturday. When David is praying that prayer, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's the prayer that all of us should have every day of our lives. Lord, search me. See what is wrong. See what is wicked. See what needs to be corrected and help me to correct it. We also need Christ's rebuke. Listen, if Jesus didn't love us, he wouldn't correct us. If parents didn't love their kids, they wouldn't correct them. They would let them do whatever they wanted to do. And every kid would somewhat like that, but that's not what you need. Get this down. True love is tough, but should never be cruel. True love is tough, but should never be cruel. Turning from sin once is not enough. Well, I turned from sin when I got saved. It must be a daily practice and daily habit in our life. Daily repentance of sin is a characteristic of a healthy church and healthy Christians. In every single one of us, even the Apostle Paul, the great the Apostle Paul. Every day he said, I have to die daily of myself so that I could be cleansed with Christ, is what he was saying. And then we get to the challenge, verse 20 through 22. I'll read it quickly and then we'll read these verses. You will have communion with Christ and sit on his throne. You will have communion with Christ. Go ahead and put that up there. You will have communion with Christ. We got it. There it is. You'll have communion with Christ and sit on his throne. Verse number 20. Behold, most of us know this verse. Great picture of Jesus at that door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, he's not forcing his way in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. He's saying, Hey, there there is hope for you, Laodiceans. There is hope for you, Christians today, that are apathetic. I'm standing at your heart's door knocking. I will sup with him. I will eat with him. And he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. I mean, think about that. Think about what he's saying. Even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Jesus will always come in if we invite him in. So what he is saying here is, hey, take take note, wake up. I'm standing at the door and knocking. Many of us are good at just tuning out noises, and I think many of us are good at tuning out the Holy Spirit when he is knocking on our heart's door and saying, hey, you know what that preacher is saying? You might not like it all, but what he's saying is truth because it comes from God's Word. So why don't you open the door and let me in? And I'll show you what a true, thriving Christian life is all about. Nope, I got it. My self-reliance is about to kick in, so why don't you go to take a back seat with the Holy Spirit? Look, Jesus is persistent with us, and I'm thankful for that. Coleman Hunts paints a picture. or He painted a painting in which it depicts Jesus standing outside of a door with a light in His hand. He is knocking on the door. When that painting was finished, a man looked at it and told the painter that he had made a huge mistake. He said, what's the mistake? He said, you forgot to paint a handle on the outside of the door. Hunt responded, it's no mistake. You see, the handle is on the inside. Jesus knocks, but we must open it. And that's the truth. It only takes, listen to this, it only takes one person that is humble, that is receptive, and repentant to spark a revival in a church. It only takes one that is humble, receptive, and repentant to spark a revival in church. The Master is calling every day, But the question is, are we listening? You know, we think about revival and, well, revival will happen when people start getting saved. No, revival will happen when people start getting right with God. Humble themselves and allow Him to come in and take over their life and realize that my dependence is not on myself and my gifts and my talents, my dependence is on you. Uh, I think I said this at the beginning of the year, but maybe even last year, it's that learning to lose control that most of us just love, right? But that's exactly what we need to do, myself included. Learn to lose control of our own self-ambitions and give it over to Jesus Christ. Because I promise you, you go ahead and try to work it out on your own. And tell me how that works for you. Tell me how joyful you'll be by you working it out. You're going to fall flat on your face. That might not have happened right now, but it will happen. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you allow Him to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, your life will be so much more joyful, so much more meaningful. Verse 21 and 22, Jesus will allow us to reign with Him if we trust Him. Note that when we invite Him in, the supper room becomes a throne room. (laughs) It is through communion with Christ that we find victory and become overcomers. To sit with Jesus means that we receive every blessing in kingdom life by virtue of our union with Christ. And that's absolutely astonishing. Listen to this. Because of our union with the victorious Lamb, we not only get heaven, we also get a throne. What other religion gives you that? Verse 22, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. And we spent seven weeks and gone church by church. And I took my time because there's so much in these churches. You know, Next week, or not next week, actually, probably in about three weeks, um, we've got an evangelist coming next week and then we got a missionary the week after. But um, three weeks are going to start back in chapter four. And chapter four and five is an awesome thing. It's a, you know, we get a glimpse into heaven in the throne room and and it's just all about worshiping, worshiping the Lamb and worshiping around the throne. And as Jesus is about to you know, unroll those scrolls, and it's just it's about to get, I mean, it's already been good, but you know, it's about to get even better as we see in chapter four. But listen, take to heart what we have talked about, what is given to us. It goes back to chapter one, uh, verse, number, verse number three: Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Revelation is not meant to scare us, it's meant to comfort us. It's meant to challenge us. And as John said, we will receive a blessing as we read it and apply it. You know, these were written to seven specific churches that were struggling, but the application is to every Christian today, thousands of years later. It's to every church today. Don't be Laodicea. There is nothing good about that church. But if you are, if you have that tendency to drift towards a Laodicean attitude and mindset of complacency, then repent. Because I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I want to come in, but you have to let me in. You see, these letters to the seven churches are, listen, they are God's x-rays given to us so that we might examine our own lives. An x-ray examines deep within to see what is wrong on the inside. And that's what this letter, these letters are written for. To help us examine what is wrong. And as I have there in your notes, don't lose sight of your first love, Ephesus. Trust God in the midst of suffering, Smyrna. Don't compromise your doctrine, Pergamos. Don't sway in your morality, Thyatira. Be on guard against spiritual death, Sardis. Walk through the open door that Jesus has given to share the gospel of Philadelphia and avoid at all costs the danger of complacency and avoid becoming lukewarm in your passion for God. Dr. Vance Havner once said, the big question today is not, is God speaking? The big question is, are we listening? And here's the truth, and I close this portion of Revelation. The church that loses sight of their dependence on Christ for all things are deceived and useless. But Jesus graciously promises healing to all who rely on Him for every need. It's time that we lose sight of our independence. And quit talking about how independent we are and how proud we are of our independence. It's time that we learn dependence on Jesus. That's what's going to bring healing. And again, as I said earlier, yeah, I want the whole church to make sure there were on fire for God, but it just takes one. It just takes one individual to truly repent, to truly humble themselves and realize that, God, I am going to fall down before you and serve you and live for you. Forget about my agenda. Forget about my desires. That's what brings revival. It's like that old song, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. So I guess my question as we close chapter three, which one of you is going to be the spark? It's going to light Eagle Drive on fire in a good way.